0: Thank you for choosing Minatrista Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Minatrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at Minatristachurch.org. So on the back of your bulletin, Jesus was arrested and his trials, you will notice, violate the Jewish laws of justice. And so Jesus, the whole trial thing that Jesus went through early Friday morning violated the Jewish laws of, of justice. And in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and chapter 19, if you want on your own, you can read those laws. And you will notice that the, the trials violated those law, laws. So that's something that you can think about as you uh, think of what Jesus did for us and those trials, how they were really illegal. In Jesus' case, and you know this to be true, the verdict was guilty before the trials even began. And although not all recorded in the book of Mark, there were three Jewish trials and three Gentile trials, and they happened very, very, very rapidly, you'll remember. In fact, it says this all took place in a matter of a few hours, lasting till 9 a.m. on Friday when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Mark tells us that Jesus was on the cross for six hours, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., exactly the way we've talked about God planned it, so that at 3 p.m. Jesus dies the same time that the Jews and the priests are sacrificing the Passover lambs for the Passover holiday. And so Jesus then becomes the perfect sacrificial lamb on that Passover. But I'm doing something a little bit different in our message today. What can we as Christ followers learn from our text today? That's what we're going to talk about. So uh, we're going to learn uh, six things at least, and you may come up with more. But let's take a look at our Bible passage first. Mark chapter 14, Verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. That, remember, is called the Sanhedrin. All of the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of law. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days will build another not uh, made by man. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus decides he should and will answer that question. I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then they began to spit at him, they blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. That is the reading of God's Word. What can we as Christ followers learn from our text today? Well, I think there's six things. And the first one is this, be honest. As Christ followers, we are to be honest. What we notice here, and according to the Jewish law, Was in complete contradiction of a legal trial. The people that took the witness stand were liars. The witnesses all lied. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 26, it says that the Sanhedrin were looking for people to give a testimony. And in fact, they bribed them in order to give that testimony. And of course, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 16 and chapter 19, of course, you would read in there how. Illegal, that is, to give a bribe for a testimony. When I think of the word honesty, I think of synonyms like uprightness, honor, virtue, integrity. Those words for honesty come to mind. As Christ followers, honesty is the best policy. Honesty is the best policy. And so I'm going to ask after each of these different points a question that goes along with the point. Are you an honest person? Are you an honest person? A long time ago I read a book, and the title of the book is Who Are You When No One Is Looking? Who are you when no one is looking? That's a big word for integrity. I remember a church that I was a part of a long time ago, and in the board meeting, somebody said, you know, I think we should do this. And somebody said, well, I don't think we really should do this because I think it's against the law. And the guy that said, I think we should do this, you know what he said? I know a way around that. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, we're at a church business meeting, A church leadership meeting, and this guy wants to do something that is against the law because he knows a way around it. Thankfully, (laughs) thankfully the the leadership there said, uh, no, we're not going to do that. So I've got some verses under here, and it's under the first point, be honest. And the first verse is this, 2 Corinthians 8.21 for we are taking pains, Paul says, to do what is right. Not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. That's an important verse. We are taking pains. In fact, this pains us, but we are doing all that we can to do what is right. To be honest. Not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. Colossians 3.9 Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. When we became Christians, the Bible says we became new creations. And so it says, do not lie to each other because you're no longer a new creation. You are no longer an old creation. You are a new creation. James 5.12, you've heard this before. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else, All you need to say is simply yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. So you've heard it said, and probably in King James, it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I remember when I was a kid, you know, you'd say, yes, and then what would you do? You cross your fingers, because for some odd reason, that means that you don't have to tell the truth. Or you would say, I swear, I swear. And of course, that verse says, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Do not swear by heaven, by earth, or by anything else. Let your yes be yes. If you say yes, don't have your fingers crossed because you know you're not going to do it. If you say no, don't have your fingers crossed because you know you are going to do it, etc., etc. Philippians 4 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Those are the things that are to preoccupy our minds. So the first point in what can Christ followers learn from our text today is to be honest. The witnesses definitely were not. The second thing we can learn from our text today is be bold. Be bold. Mark locates Peter and he is slinking in and basically trying to blend in. But one thing about Peter, at least he's in the vicinity of where Jesus is. He makes it, the Bible says, to where the chief priests are, the courtyard of the high priest, He makes it there, verse 54. but he follows at a distance. He's trying to blend in, but at least he's in the vicinity. I, I, I think about Peter and I'm wondering where are the other ones? Where are the other at least Peter is in the vicinity. His presence and semi-boldness does not last very long as we will take a peek at next week. But here we see what I would call probably a timid Peter. Boldness, however, comes after after he receives the Holy Spirit. Remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter and the other disciples received the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, you start reading some of those early passages of the book of Acts, and you see Peter completely bold in his expression of faith. Paul was bold. David was bold. Daniel was bold. Esther was bold. And here's a question for you. Are are you a bold Christ follower? Are you a bold Christ follower? I think Tony is a bold Christ follower. This past week, I shouldn't tell you this, but uh, this past week, Tony and I played golf together. And uh, it was early in the morning, and we came upon another foursome that was playing golf. And... uh, the guy says to us, are you brothers of the same mother? And I kept, the first thing I thought was, I, I hope they realize that I'm the younger brother. I mean, that was, the first, that was the first thing that came to mind for me, but that was not the first thing that came to mind for Tony. It was something that was more bold. And he said to them, we are brothers, but not of the same mother, but we have the same father. And so, at first I thought, I had to think about it for a second, but then I thought, oh, I, I know where he's going now. And he said, we're brothers in Christ. We're brothers in Christ. And it was interesting because the response of the four that were in front of us was like, oh... Oh, okay, okay. Uh, usually you can tell if you're uh, in the presence of other believers because they, say, they would say something like, Oh, that's a good one. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. We're, we're Christ followers too. But, you know, they probably weren't. But nonetheless, Tony was not concerned about who was the older or the younger brother. Tony was being bold. And let's take a look at some verses here. Romans 8.31, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We live in what unfortunately probably is more and more an unchristian world and possibly an unchristian United States. But the idea that God is for us and who can be against us can help us be more bold. Joshua 1.9, Joshua is taking over from Moses right at the get-go in the book of Joshua. The Lord says to him, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Be bold, in other words. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So that's an encouragement for Joshua as he begins to take over for Moses entering the promised land. Be strong and courageous. Acts 4.31 After they play, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was Shaken. And they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke the word of God boldly. Second Timothy 1.7 For the Spirit God for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self discipline. You know that word power in the Greek is dudamus, and we get the word dynamite from dudamus. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And Psalm 138, verse 3. If you're struggling with boldness, here's your your prayer. When I called... So David is saying, when I called, you answered me and you greatly emboldened me. So if you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I, I struggle a little bit with being bold in my Christian faith. Well, ask the Lord to give you boldness, and He will. The next thing we notice from our passage that we as Christ followers should follow is number three, be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Did you notice in our reading how Jesus was slow to speak? Verse 61 says, but Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. One author said, Jesus was majestic In his silence, Jesus was majestic in his silence. Jesus knew he did not have any legal responsibility to respond to these liars. He didn't need or desire to defend himself, he was not prideful in his need to respond. That goes so far against who we are. If somebody says something that's negative about us, we immediately want to get in their face. That's not true. That's not true. And then, and then go and, and tell all the reasons why that's not true. Jesus has no desire or need to defend himself here. He's not prideful. He doesn't have to say, you know what, that's not true. That's not true. What you're saying is not true. I didn't say it that way. You know, he's just being slow to speak. But when he is asked a legitimate question, he does respond. And the legitimate question is the latter part of verse 61. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? That was a question that Jesus knew he was going to answer and that he should answer. That question basically is saying, hey, are you the Messiah? That's what the word Christ means. Are you the Son of God? Are you equal with God? Are you absolute deity? And this is a question Jesus chooses to answer, and he says, I am. I am. And Jesus knows the intent of the question. He knows his answer means death. He knows the high priest will use the blasphemy card, but he boldly gives his answer anyway. I am. I think what we can learn here is a good lesson for each of us, especially me. When to speak and when to remain silent. In on the computer, you can go and and look up Bible verses. And so I went to the computer and I looked up Bible verses on being slow to speak. And oftentimes you don't get this many, but something popped up and said, 100 Bible verses on being slow to speak. I'm thinking, wow, the Bible must know that that's an important thing for us if it's got at least 100 Bible verses on being slow to speak. But I have some here that I wrote down, actually two. And you know this one, my... James 1, nine, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Oh, that's an important Bible verse. And then I love Proverbs. You can always find a verse about these things in Proverbs. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. The prudent hold their tongues. Jesus knew when to be soft-spoken, when to not speak, and when to speak. It's a good lesson for us. Number four, be heaven-minded. You know, a lot of people say, oh, he's so heaven-minded, he's of no earthly good. Well, I think that whole statement is wrong from the get-go. I think as christian christ followers we should probably be more heaven-minded and i think it's interesting because after jesus speaks i am answers the question he goes on and he enhances it a bit with these words and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven What he's basically seeing is, I'm going to be sitting next to God the Father, and what he's basically saying is, I am equal to God the Father. And in your Bible verses here, I have a Bible verse, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. This is what it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After He had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus, it says, sits down after his jobs are done and is in that seated place. Jesus knew the cross was before him. And what is awesome about his enhancement to just the I am, and I'm quoting here from a commentary I read this this week, it says what is awesome about this statement is it allows him in the horror of the cross to rehearse what's coming after the cross. He sees past the cross, past the burial, past the resurrection, past his ascension, to his rightful place in heaven where he will judge the living and the dead. Being heavenly minded is a good thing. Jesus is saying, yes, I'm earthly in that I am he, I am the Messiah, I am the Savior, but I get, But guess what? That's not all I am. You will see me, the Son of Man, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. He sees beyond His earthly presence to His heavenly presence. Being heavenly-minded is a good thing. Being heavenly-minded allows me to look beyond this life. You know, you got to admit, sometimes life stinks, doesn't it? And for us as believers to be able to look beyond this life, to know that there's something better, much better out there, gives us the opportunity to live a godly life on earth because we know that out there it's a better, th- a, a, a better place. And as I'm living on earth, it challenged me to, to live in a good way because I know what is out there before me. So some verses on being heaven-minded. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move. You always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you, and here's the verse, here's the part, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What makes my labor in the Lord not in vain? Heaven. That's what makes my labor in the Lord not in vain. I have something to look forward to. 2 Corinthians 4.18, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is Unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes on heaven. Colossians 3, two. set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Matthew 6.19-20, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Number five, what can we learn from our text? Well, be ready for persecution. Be ready for persecution. After Jesus saying He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that one day they will see Him as He judges the living and the dead, it says in verse 63, the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? Well, they all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. The Sanhedrin unanimously decided Jesus should die for the false sin of blasphemy. And if you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, you know the physical persecution the Lord endured for us. As Christ followers, and I don't think we're really aware of this, but as Christ followers, we need to realize that persecution is a part of the package. Persecution is a part of the package. And if you're not being just even a little bit persecuted, it may be that you're not being bold in your faith. I don't think I have to remind you, even though we prayed that we would continue to be, and we as believers push for this and try to live it, I'm not so sure we live in a Christian nation anymore. And so as we move farther and farther in an unchristian way, I think most of us realize, and probably have even experienced or understand we are going to experience it, there will be more and more persecution for those of us that are God-fearing, for those of us that hold the Bible as our ultimate authority on what we believe and how we behave. And in fact, that's what the Bible says in 1 John, in our verses 3, 13 to 14, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Hey, don't be surprised. 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted Second Corinthians twelve ten, that's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And Jesus even said it in John fifteen eighteen if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And then lastly, as we shared, as we moved to a time of communion, be thankful. Be thankful. In response, I think in response to our Bible passage, Mark chapter 14, 53 to 65, I think we ought to be thankful. Jesus went through that tremendous trial, agony in the garden, trial, crucifixion, death for us. And the verses are on there. Romans 6.17 But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. And Hebrews 12.1-3 Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And this is the part I love. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition for sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Remember that song when we were kids? Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and free. The bottom of your bulletin, Jesus to Calvary did go, his love for mankind to show. What he did there brought hope from despair. Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we're going to share some communion together. We're going to sing a song, the Lamb of God. Then we're going to share communion. It's our opportunity for us to remember what you did on the cross. And all of this stuff that led up to the cross, let us not easily forget. And then we can say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and free. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.